Good morning. It is good to be in the house of the Lord with you. I love this church. If you're new here, my name is DJ. I'm one of the team members here. And, uh, and I'm honored to be able to just get to, to share what God has been putting on my heart. Um, also, I want to just acknowledge our online community. We love you. We think about you often. And, and I just want to tell you that, listen, if uh, there's anything that you need prayer for or that anything that you have, maybe some questions you have, we have hosts in our chat. They're willing and ready and available to you to serve you. Um, listen, I, I said earlier, I love this church and it's not, it's not a mistake. Listen, I, I get here about 4.30 or 5 every Sunday morning. I'm like a kid on Christmas morning running to see what is God gonna do? And, and then I, I get here early to pray over this church and pray over the building and pray over you and pray over our worship team and our dream team. Uh, this morning was a little different for me as I was uh, just praying and walking the room. I felt this sense of freedom and it dropped on me that uh, freedom comes at a cost. And we don't get to just come and enjoy this beautiful building and the air condition that we're in and, and, and get to worship Jesus with our church family freely uh, without there being some sort of cost that was taken. And I'm grateful for the country that we live in. I know we have different views and politics and people can say what they wanna say, but listen, we're living in an amazing country and it's because of men and women giving their lives for our freedom that we get to worship Jesus the way we do. And so I think, you know, tomorrow, I don't know what your family will be doing, but tomorrow my family is going to be hanging out. We'll have some barbecue. We'll, we, we got some friends coming over and we're gonna have a good time. But see, Memorial Day is not always a good time for some. It's sometimes a time where they're thinking about the people that maybe they've lost. They're, they're mourning or they're grieving. And so I think it would be appropriate for us today to just take a moment and just pray for those families who've lost their loved ones. And so would you bow your head with me this morning? Jesus, we thank you for the freedom we have in America, Lord. And we know it came at a cost. Jesus, I pray that you would bring your favor, your blessings, and your comfort on the families who have lost loved ones as they fought for our freedom. Lord, I pray that you would go before them, you would go behind them, and you would be all around them in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would speak clearly, Lord, through me today. Lord, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would illuminate our minds and our hearts and you would awaken our spirits this morning, Jesus. Thank you for the freedom, Lord, that we have found in you. We love you. We love you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Okay. Now, have you ever wished you had a time machine? <laughs> Every time I watch Back to the Future, I, I think, man, if I could just be Marty for one day, what would I do? I'm, I, I like to trade stocks. And so the truth is, if I had a time machine, I would get in a whole lot less trouble than I do without a time machine. I would actually maybe make some money in the stock market. Because what I would do is I would dial that thing back into 1998, and I would invest into a little small company that nobody knew about called Amazon. If I would have put $500 in, I would have made 300,000 by now. Or if you're a sports fan like me, uh, anybody sports fans here? Anybody like baseball? Okay, so I'm a Texas Ranger fan. And I know that as soon as I said that, you're thinking, if you know anything about baseball, you're saying, poor DJ, <laughs> poor DJ. See, the Rangers haven't really done much ever, but we were on the brink of a World Series championship. In 2011, we were one out away from winning the World Series. 
And if I could go back in time, I would plead and beg our manager, Ron Washington, please pull Nelson Cruz out of right field because he can't catch the ball and you've got a gold glove defender on the bench. Put him in so that we could win this World Series. But I wasn't there and I couldn't tell the future. I actually do think though, I did tell my cousin, we were watching the game again, I said, they need to pull Nelson Cruz out of right field. They need to pull him out. Sure enough, ball was hit, freeze, Doug Free. Anybody know, anyway, I'm not gonna get into baseball history here, but, but Doug Free hits a, hits a ball and burns Nelson Cruz. He's playing him too shallow. He misses the catch, should have made the catch, misses it. The Cardinals end up going on to score two or three runs and the momentum turned and the Cardinals end up winning the World Series. And if you're a Cardinals fan, you have like 16 of them or 17. You didn't need another one. You could have given us one. Well, listen, today we do have a a time machine that we get to step into. And it's a time machine that is available to us all and acceptable. And and, and we get to, to just step into it. It's accessible. It's the Bible. And we're gonna dial this thing into BC 1063. That's a long time ago, y'all. BC 1063. And this journey that we're gonna go on this morning is going to be a familiar journey to some. But my hope and my prayer is this morning that you will leave out of this space and leave this moment today feeling more equipped to face this battle that we're in. My hope today is that you will learn how to become a giant killer. Uh, we're gonna set up the story for you. Before we get into the text that, we're gonna be, that I'm gonna be preaching from this morning, I wanna set up the story, give you a little bit of context. So we're gonna, we're gonna step it back to what you would see in 1 Samuel 16. See, Samuel is a prophet of God and God has just told him, Samuel, I, I'm not real pleased with what Saul's doing right now. Saul was the current king. He said, I'm not real pleased with what he's doing and I want you to go to Jesse's house in Bethlehem and I want you to anoint the next king. Now, Jesse had eight sons. One of those sons was a big strapping, he was the oldest, big strapping military man. So when Samuel sees the firstborn son, and it was the culture then that the firstborn son would typically step into something like that, right? So when he sees the firstborn son, he says, well, surely this is the one. He's strong, he's, he's masculine, he's, he's handsome, he's, he's tall. And... Uh, I love it that God says, yeah, Samuel, this is not the one. And it's like Samuel was kind of surprised, like, are you kidding me? You sent me here to, to find the next king and I feel like this is it, man. This is... And God, I think is really, really important what he says to Samuel. He says, I don't look at the things that man looks at. I don't look at the outer. I don't look at the exterior. I look at the heart. So Jesse lines the sons up, son number one, nope, son number two, nope, son number three, nope, so on and so forth. And then Samuel's kind of a little flabbergasted, right? He's like, God, you sent me all the way over here and none of these guys are it? Are you kidding me? So Samuel says, is there any way that you have, you happen to have another son? And of course he does. It's the youngest one, David. He's out in the middle of the field, tending to the flock. So Samuel says, send him up right now. Get him up here. And as soon as David walks up, the Lord immediately tells Samuel that this is the one, this is the chosen one. 
And so fast forward a little bit later. So he gets anointed king, the future king. And let's fast forward a little bit later. Uh, what happens is that they're in this there's battle. And I wanna give you a little bit of context. This is what we're about to step into. But back in those days, they didn't have Instagram, Facebook. They didn't have telephones, cell phones. They didn't, they didn't even have the Pony Express at this point. So for them to be able to communicate, they had to send messengers. So David happened to be in the field with his dad and, and his dad, Jesse says, hey, go check on your brothers. We need to make sure that they're getting fed well. Listen, my mom, my mom fed, had to feed three growing boys. So I don't, I feel really sorry for Jesse. Uh, and he was, he was thinking, man, my, my, my sons are out in the military. They're probably starving to death. I know what it takes to feed these boys. Uh, listen, I, I don't wanna leave the girls out. I have four daughters and they will eat you out of a house. <laughs> so so Je- Jesse's like, make sure you take some cheese and take some grain and take some bread, take some things out over to, to your brothers and then, and then check on them and, and report back to me. So this is what David stumbles up on. This is when he, when he shows up, this is what he's gonna see. I'm gonna read out of 1 Samuel 17, three through 11 in the New Living Translation. So, so Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, whatever a weaver's beam is, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servant of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. And if he kills me, then he will be your slaves. Then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight, he says. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Looking back at this, have you ever tried to figure out why in the world was Goliath getting to call the shots in this? You have one man stepping down into a valley, shouting at a whole army, and somehow the army is terrified. The entire army is terrified because of one man. Why? I I, I know for me, I think about it and I'm like, if it was me, I would put a sniper on the high ground and I would zero that sucker in on a headshot for extra points, of course, Game over, ball game, we win. We're going to Buffalo Wild Wings to celebrate. All right, you're laughing at me because you probably are like, DJ, you're, you're an idiot, first. And second, you're probably saying, dude, history's not your strong suit, is it? Because there's no way there was rifles back then in 1063. I get that. But I brought this out here today. Uh, this dude right here is a crossbow, and I don't have it loaded, so nobody needs to be scared. It's, it's not loaded. This, this thing is a is a pretty powerful weapon, and I'm certain that they had these back in those days. And if they didn't, they had something similar to this, and they had archers they could have put on the hill. I only wanted to bring this out because Pastor Mike and Pastor Jamie and Pastor Trey, they always bring really cool props out. And I thought, if I'm gonna bring a prop out, it's gonna be a manly prop. So this thing right here, 460 feet per second. I've got it zeroed in at 200 yards. 
Now that's, that's pretty good for a bow, guys. Zeroed into 200 yards. This thing slays meat giants in the Mantooth home, the Mantooth kingdom. So I'm pretty certain it could have slayed a Philistine giant in the Israelite kingdom. Now, anyway, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this up now before I hurt somebody or hurt myself. <laughs> anyway, I have a lot too much fun. Listen, this is the thing though. Why do we let these giants, why did they let the giants dictate? Why, why was the giant get to dictate the fight? I, the enemy, as I started looking into this a little bit more though, I, I realized that this was actually part of the culture, okay? A champion from one army would face another champion and another army for like a take-all battle. There was another thing that I realized though, and if, if you men, if anybody here has ever served in, in combat or whatever, you will understand what I'm saying. Um, the giant was going down into the valley. The Bible says that the Philistines and Israelites were on both on hillsides. So for, because there's another option here too, right? You could have sent like five or 600 guys down there and just take out this giant and be done. But the, the moment that someone took first action and came down into the valley, now the Philistines would have had the advantage. They would have had the upper hand. This is exactly what Satan is doing even today, is that he will try to lure you down in the valley to tell you that you're not big enough, that you're too small, and there's nothing that you or your God could ever do. Today, I feel the Lord is wanting us to walk out of this room today completely aware of Satan's lures in our lives and his traps and his strategy. And he wants us to rewrite the story in our head this morning. I'd like to give you four steps to become a giant killer. The first is to become a giant killer, you have to change the narrative. See, I believe for far too long, we've let the giants in our lives make the rules. They, we let them call the shots and, and set the stage and uh, giving them really way more uh, you know, control of the battle than they should have. Um, mostly because of fear and doubt, but I really believe that the enemy has one lie to cause us to have fear and doubt. I mean, one, one weapon, I'm sorry, and that's a lie. He lies to you, he tells you who you are, he tells you what you're not, he tells you that you or your God isn't big enough to rescue you out of this. See, for me in my life, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, this moment where you had to change the narrative, but there was a moment in my life, and I've shared this from the platform before, so it's nothing new to you guys, but there was a moment in my life where all, I'm just gonna say it this way, all hell was breaking loose, literally. Every area of my life, uh, I felt like Satan had, had gotten into. I was in a dark space, guys. And one thing that I'm gonna just pause right here, one thing that I think you understand this, but you will always get with me, is absolute transparency. Like I'm not up here trying to hide anything because I believe that broken people lead broken people. And this morning you need to know that there is nothing different between the struggles and the fears and the things that I face or the ones that you face. What I do know though, and what I have found to know and be confident in is who is walking in this battle with me. And that's what I wanna encourage you in this morning. Listen, I was, there was a part in my life though where I, I felt like everything, everything was, was about to end. I, I wasn't being a good father. I wasn't being a good provider. My, 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 my uh, business wasn't doing well. I was making really poor decisions. And I don't know if you've ever been there where you're, you're, you're down so low and you're so uh, just, you feel like you're trying to grasp and, and the more you grasp, it feels like more sand just keeps on coming on you and, and filling you up and burying you. I felt buried. I felt 
like I, I, I was turning to things, uh, addictions and things that I shouldn't have turned to for masking and comfort, trying to escape reality. And there was a point where I really felt like that, uh, man, my, my life's over. I'm much better dead than I am alive for my family at this point. I literally thought I was more valuable to my family dead because of a life insurance policy I had taken out. So I was about to drive my truck off of a bridge and that was when the Lord stepped into my lowest valley. <laughs> and he told me, son, I'm the author of your life and this is not how the story ends. And so today, what you get is a redeemed child of God. You get a son of God, a guy who knows exactly where he stands in, his, in the place of his father. I don't know, I don't think that I'm a, I'm a failure anymore. I don't think that, that uh, I, 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 God's left me. There was a point where the devil even started convincing me that God wasn't even real, okay? That he couldn't rescue me. I'm telling you, I was in the lowest valley. But I love this. I love that before David stepped into the valley to fight the giant, he writes this in the 23rd of Psalm. While he's still in the field, he writes this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he knew the Lord was with him. He knew that God was on his side. And if God was for him, who could be against him? And then he could walk around and sing songs like, my God is greater, my God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other because he knew who was for him. He knew that the Lord would fight the battle for him. He never doubted that. He never one moment doubted who he was fighting for and who was fighting for him. He knew his place with the Lord. First Samuel 17, 26 says, that David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing the Philistines and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? See, before you could, another step I think to becoming a giant killer is knowing who you're fighting against. We need to identify the giants in our life. Sometimes we, uh, we don't identify things or we don't, we don't get to the, to the answer of it because we don't know how to ask questions. We're not curious enough. And I love, I love that the Psalmist David, he, he starts asking questions. He shows up on the scene and he says, who is this Philistine? Who is this Philistine that would defy our God? I believe this morning we could identify a lot of giants, but I think the giant that is running the most rampant in our, in our bodies, in our, in our church, and in our mind is the giant of identity. See, when David's oldest brother, I'm gonna read this out of Psalm, uh, the Samuel 28. I'm sorry, Samuel 17, 28. We'll go from there. So I'll have it on the screen for you. But when David's oldest brother, Eli, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your deceit. You just wanna see the battle. And David's like, what have I done now? I was only asking a question. And he walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. 
There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. See, David had, had layers, had layers of labels put on him. He heard that he wasn't strong enough. He heard that he wasn't tough enough. He heard he wasn't experienced enough. He heard that he was prideful. He heard that he was deceitful. He heard that he wasn't uh, a man enough. Today, I could tell you I've walked in here feeling, having all, every single one of those labels I've had set over me. And I know that there's probably some labels that, that people have put on you. Maybe, maybe you have, you're here today and you've had a friend that has betrayed you. And you feel like, man, I, I can never trust or I can never be loved. Or maybe, maybe you've had a husband or a wife that's cheated on you. And you feel, man, I'm not good enough. Maybe you've had your dad, you've never heard your dad tell you that he's proud of you. Have you ever had feelings of inadequacy? Have you ever had these feelings before? Maybe you feel you aren't strong enough. Maybe you feel you're not talented enough. Maybe you feel like you're not smart enough or attractive enough. Maybe you've been betrayed by the friend. These are just layers, y'all. See, God, he designed you and he, he put the core of who you are, your identity. He knew exactly who you were and who he called you to be. But what we've done is we've put a lot of layers on what people have said we are. We claim identity from what others have said or what we say about ourselves, and that's just not okay. The Lord wants to break some stuff this morning. And, and, and I just feel like the, the best way to further explain and expound on this truth is from one of the greatest theologians of our time. So I wanna show you a video, okay? I just had to throw in a Disney movie, I, I couldn't help it. Um, no, this, listen, this, I love this because Donkey's trying to explain a, a really strong uh, principle, I think. And, uh, or I'm sorry, Shrek is trying to explain this to Donkey. He's trying to explain to him that, hey, we got layers and there's things that we, we, we're deeper than you think we are. We're, we're, we actually, I think he's trying to get to the point of saying, hey, we're actually empathetic. We, we love, we have some compassion in us. We're not just these crazy monsters. But Donkey hates the comparison. He's like, I, I don't like the way onions look. So why don't you be, a, or smell, or why don't you be a cake? Because everybody likes cakes. But see, I think we do this in the church, and, it, and it's one of my little, uh, I'm not gonna lie, guys, it's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, but I feel like we do this. We, we, we have people come in, and they have these layers that the world has put on them or that, that darkness or sin has put on them, whatever, they have these layers, right? But, and we, we wanna fix their layers, but we fix their layers by covering up the layers and adding more layers, layers of self-righteousness. Hey, if you're gonna walk in this church building, you need to look like this, you need to talk like this, you need to act like this. But that's not what Jesus did. What our job is, family, our job is to just love them, accept them, bring them into the house of the Lord, introduce them to the master builder. See, I was a builder before I started doing this, or not this, but leading worship. I was a builder before I started working in the church. And as a builder, when I would build homes, I knew exactly every detail of that home. So let's just say I build a home, I put floors in. When somebody had an issue with their floors, say like uh, they had a, a dishwasher bust, or they spilt water on the floor and it, and it damaged a section of the floors, 
There's no way they're gonna be able to replace those floors and, 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 and just pit, patch that area and make it look perfect without talking to the original builder. Letting the original, the best option they have is to talk to me because I have details that nobody else will have. I understand what the lot number is. I understand what the die number is. I understand where I pot, bought the, the product from and nobody else would know that. So they would need to talk to me about that, right? See, what, what our job is here is to, to go ahead and lead people to Jesus because he's the master builder. He knows every single detail and the way that he's built you. And he designed you perfectly. See, he says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows every single detail. He knows every hair on your head, every freckle on your back. He knows everything. And we could be confident in that. See, we, we don't have to try to fix people. We don't have to do that. All we have to do is bring them to the throne, bring them into the presence of Jesus because that's where they'll be changed. So he knows you, but are you confident that he knows you? Our third point in to become a giant killer is to knows, know whose you are. That's a little bit tricky for, for a Texas boy. But David persisted, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. See, back, back remember the last verse we read, uh, Saul was not confident in David and his ability to fight this giant. So this is where we're picking back up. But David persisted, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. And when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both the lion and the bear and I'll do this, do it to this pagan Philistine as well. For he has defied the armies of living God. Pause, before we go to 37. It sounds like David's pretty confident, right? It sounds like, man, I, I'm a skilled warrior. I know what I'm doing. But here's what I love. Following, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. He knew that he was known by God and he knew, like I said earlier, that when he walked through the valley of that shadow of death, that he could fear no evil because the Lord was with him. That's what was giving him the confidence is he knew that God was with him. So, so finally, Saul, he consented and said, all right, go ahead. And I wonder what the tone was there, right? Okay, we'll see how this goes. May the Lord be with you. See, one thing that stands out to me in the story of David is others didn't see who he was, but he knew exactly who he was and he knew whose he was. He was known by God and he knew God. See, we often pray this prayer, and you, you may have prayed it before, and it's not, a hor it's not a bad prayer, but you might say, God, use me, use me, God, just use me, use me. And I'm telling you this morning, family, that God doesn't wanna use you, he wants to know you. And it's with him knowing you that your life can change. It's, it's with him knowing you that you can go and be victorious in battle. It's the knowing that he works through. It's not the things that you do for him. He doesn't need a hammer or a, or a, or a hoe or a shovel. The only thing he needed was the cross. He took the cross and beat the devil upside the head with it, y'all. So you don't have to worry about this anymore. The only thing the devil does, like I said, is he lies to you. So when those lies start popping out, I'm not good enough, I'm not, 
You could just say, hey, imagine Jesus taking that cross and just beating the devil with it. Because that's what he is, he's a man, all right? <laughs> Jesus is a tough dude. I also love this other thing that I just wanna point out to you guys, and I don't mean to keep on on this, but the Lord, I love how content. I was talking with my friend Aaron, and Aaron was, we were just kind of talking through some of this, and Aaron reminded me that the Lord was content, that, that David was content in just knowing the Lord. Like if you go back to the 23rd of Psalms, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What he's saying is, God's guided me, I don't need anything else. I'm confident. And that is good news, that is good news. He found that, I think, I, I believe this, that he found those moments when he was out in that field. I don't know if you've ever, I like to hunt and, and I like to get out in the middle of nowhere and just hunker down. And when I do, and I'm up in a deer blind or something like that with that thing, trying to kill something. Um, y'all do hunt a little different in Mississippi. I, I ain't gonna, well, I'm gonna get into it, but y'all have these fancy boxes that y'all set in and you don't even have to use camo or anything. We do it a little different where I come from, but uh, I love getting there and you have to be super quiet because I'm you know, 30 yards from a feeder. So I have to be super quiet in the bow stand. And I love it because as I'm quiet, I hear the birds chirping and I, and I start feeling the sense and presence of God around me. One of the best places I think, because you have no distractions, right? One of the best places I feel like you can meet with the Lord is in the wilderness. It's, in the, it's out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, look at Jesus. He, he, he went to the wilderness to be with his father, to talk to his father. And so I think David, think about this, he's a shepherd, he's out in the field. I think David was growing in his intimacy with the father. He was knowing who he was and he knew who the father was saying he was. They were building this, just this time and it was amazing. See, there's layers and in, in, in the Lord wants to remove those layers, but you may be asking me, how do we face these giants, this, this giant of depression that maybe you're in, feeling or, or rejection or anger or lust? pain or hurt caused by others or rejection, knowing who he is and knowing who he says you are is the main ingredient. Being confident in that. See, not the identity that you've accepted or that you've created, but the identity who he says you are. So to do that, you have to understand as David did, that he is for you and that if he is for you, who can be against you? For our last step, I'd like to just uh, talk to you about how to arm yourself and fight. So, so to be a giant killer, you have to arm yourself and fight. And we'll pick up on verse 40. It says, he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. Goliath walked out towards David with a shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his God. Come over here and I'll give you the flesh to the birds and, and wild animals, Goliath yelled. And David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and I will cut your head off. And then I will give your dead body of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescued his people, but not the sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle and he will give you to us. 
As Goliath moved closer to the attack, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking a stone out, he hurled it at it and slinged it at the Philistine's forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and face, fell face down on the ground. I guess he, in theory, did get a headshot there, didn't he? So David triumphed over the Philistines with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. And then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it to kill him and cut off his head. To arm up against the giant of identity, we can look, we need, we need, to, we need to arm up, but I wanna give you some, some ways to do this. We can look at Ephesians 1. Paul gives the church of Ephesus five stones to slay the giants of identity and remind them of who they are. And I believe that we can still use these five stones as well. Ephesians 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. I know that was a lot right there, so let me just break this down for you. Number one, you are a saint, he says. And I wanna make sure you understand clearly, I'm not gonna break all these down, but I wanna make sure you clearly understand what that means. The holy ones, and you're those that are set apart and consecrated, that's good news. Two, you are blessed, he says. Three, he says you are chosen. Four, he says you are redeemed. And five, you are forgiven. That is who God says you are. When Satan tells you you aren't holy enough, you tell him, I'm a saint. When he tells you you've not, that you don't have enough, and he, he tries to get you to look at your, your neighbors and what they have, you tell him, I'm blessed. When he tells you you're not good enough and nobody will ever love you, you say, I am chosen. And when Jesus says this, he says that he, he loved you so much that he gave his son for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much you're chosen. When he says that he tries to remind you of your past and he tries to remind you of your, your failures, very much like he's done with me. Listen, last night before I got up here to preach, he started trying to do that with me again. He started trying to remind me of, of what, what I was walking through seven, eight years ago and who I, what I had done and, and who, how I had sinned and how I had been so bad. I said, you, you don't have no business being up there preaching this word. And the Lord reminded me, son, you are redeemed. Yeah. I'm gonna ask the worship team to, to come out here and, and get ready. Um, for the last one, I just wanna, uh, the, devil, the devil tries to remind us all the time of our sins and that our sins have just kept us from uh, he, he tries to remind us, tell us our sins 
keep us from his love. He tries to tell us that we have no business. But Jesus says that you are forgiven, that you are a child of God. And I just pray that this morning his love will wash over you. See, God is not mad at you, church. He is madly in love with you. And you could remind the devil when he tries to tell you that you're not enough, he tries to tell you that, that uh, you sinned and you've stepped a little bit too far into the valley of the shadow of death. He'll raise you up to the hillside and he will tell you that you have been redeemed, that you have been forgiven. And he will remind you that Romans 8 says that nothing could ever separate you from the love of God. Nothing. There's not a lie in hell that'll separate you from his love. He's a good God. This morning, I feel like there might be some emotions that are kind of, you're playing tug of war right now. There's a side of you that's reminding you that, and telling you you're not accepted. But there's also this other side of you that's wanting to jump up and say, I'm redeemed. I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm chosen. I'm a saint. So Jesus, we just pray that your love would come and just wash over every fear, that your love would come and wash over every doubt. Lord, I pray that your spirit would draw us. There's no one like you, Jesus. If, can everybody bow their heads this morning if you aren't here? I just wanna ask you a question. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? What is the Holy Spirit saying? If you would like to be saved this morning and have Jesus be the author of your life, would you just quickly raise your hand, slip your hand up. See those hands. Amen. Let's pray this prayer together, church. Jesus, I believe that you are the Messiah. And I ask that you would be the Lord of my life. Forgive me for my sins, Lord. Forgive me for not putting you first. Forgive me for not loving you and trusting you. Jesus, help me, guide me, and remind me, Lord, that you are the author of my life. Amen. This morning, if you are ready to step out, we're gonna do something a little different this morning. Listen, if you're ready to step out onto the battlefield and face the giants, I'm gonna ask you to stand up. If there's a section or an identity that, that, that God's been trying to remind you of this morning or you've been fighting with Satan a little bit, I want you to stand up. Come on, everybody in this building. We're gonna lift our hands and we're gonna declare this song. I've asked the worship team to just lead us into this song because it is the truth, it is the prayer. It's the identity of who you are as sons and daughters of the living God. So Jesus, we just come before you and we worship you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's sing this together.